Hey, 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 this is Laura. And this is our Dean, and welcome to What Happens After Dark. Ooh, what happens after dark? Creepy things. Creepy crawlers. <laughs> well, if you're driving after dark and you're drunk, don't try to play trade places with your dog. I just saw this story. Oh, my God. Yeah, let's, let's talk about that news. <laughs> so the dog was driving, not yeah. him. Yeah, a man in Colorado, he tries to trade places with his dog to avoid a DUI. <laughs> okay, so I can just imagine that cop's face as he's walking yeah. up. And trying not to <laughs> laugh. <laughs> and how stupid is that? Oh, my God. (laughs) Let's see what it says. It says, so an officer watched him maneuvering inside the car before he got out on the passenger side on Saturday night in Springfield in Colorado. It's about a town of 1,300 people, so a really tiny. Small town. Yeah, they probably know this guy. Um, And so the man uh, said he was not behind the wheel and clearly showed signs of being drunk, police said. Um, and he ran from the officer um, after being taken to the hospital to get checked out. The man was arrested on suspicion of charges, including driving under the influence of alcohol or drugs and driving while ability impaired as well for the arrest. No, but no, I just no. cannot imagine this officer's probably sitting back there just going, what the hell, hell? is he <laughs> And then to like see him run out the passenger door. And say, and well, the- I wasn't driving. It was my dog. <laughs> I mean, hello. <laughs> How stupid did he think that cop was? <laughs> I mean, that's hilarious. How do you not laugh? How do you not laugh? I would have bust out laughing. I would have been laughing so hard. When I had my Chansey boy, if we took him anywhere and then we went into the store, he would always sit in the driver's seat and wait for us. And it looked like he would have been driving the car. So just, and it would make us laugh laugh every time. So I can just imagine this officer's reaction. In Florida, I took a picture of this dog and he has his paws on the steering wheel and he's just sitting there looking and it literally looks like he's dry. It was so cute. I had to take a picture. I'm like, you are so adorable. It's like that old movie, um, the Shaggy DA, <laughs> in the, the old Disney movie where, and then t- I think it was Tim Allen redid it at one point, but um, he turns into a dog because this ring has like um, a spell. And so, and then it got stolen and it was spoken out loud. So this guy turns into the dog but yeah there's times where he's like sitting in the car like driving because (laughs) (laughs) so it's really 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 funny i bet it's funny (laughs) now if millie tried driving the car that would be hilarious hilarious. she's so short i can see lily driving (laughs) (laughs) oh my gosh so I just, man, thank you for that episode on Case Cross. I learned so much and just insane. a tie into Charles Manson. Manson. Like I didn't even thought. know. Yeah. yeah. So that's kind of like our theme. We wanted to come out of the gate hitting it hard. And like, I haven't heard any other podcasts that have tied Case to, Cross together. To, yeah. yeah. So we're so, unique that way. Yeah. He, he lived with them for a couple months. Um, I, I think they're all just delusional. Of course. All of them are delusional. And for the woman to fall for it, how, I mean, how vulnerable, pathetic yeah. are you to follow? And Yeah. And looking at the pictures, Ardeen was showing me the pictures of that guy, the Kirshna guy, and his wives. I thought he married nuns because he's got them all dressed, dressed up. Dressed like, like nuns. Yeah. And it's weird it's weird it's weird af so i'm just like whatever but i can totally see where charles manson you know he took it a little bit further 
twisted it in a sick way. Yeah. But it's interesting to me because I come from an LDS background on how this cult even stemmed off of Mm -hmm. that religion Mm -hmm. as well. So it kind of was rooted from it. Yeah. From Mormon. And then they had their own twist. Yeah. Crazy. A crazy sick twist. Yeah. I can't wait to hear about Charles Manson. Yeah, I got I got as much information as I could and about some of the victims and stuff. So um, definitely want to start with our disclaimer. What happens after dark does not mm-hmm. condone violence or murder. We're just here to present the facts of some really screwed up individuals. Um, I got my information, most of my information from Wikipedia, Murderpedia, and good old Charlie has his own website, charlesmanson.com. I'm sure there's still people that try you know follow that idealistic yeah and so that's just an honor to him i feel but it did have a lot of good information with photos and stuff so that's why i was able to pull off why would anyone honor a psychopath i don't know look at i mean hitler i even like look at our times today i mean you know i'm not anti-republic or republican or anything but i'm just watching all the sick crap that's going on and it's Mm -hmm. all starting the same way Mm -hmm. it's all control Mm-hmm. So, if we're not careful, we're going to end up. Oh yeah! Like you know, history does repeat itself, unfortunately. So, we'll have the third world war. Yeah, I think soon. so. Yeah, I think so too. So much hate out there. There is a lot of if hate. They don't start changing. Yeah, the way they see things and what they believe in. Yeah, because hate only creates hate. It breeds. If it. you want peace, you don't get peace with war. That's no. the stupidest thing. You want peace, you create peace. Mm-hmm. It's just ridiculous. And I just worry for the little ones that come after us. You know, I know. Our grandkids, our great-grandkids, you know, what the world is going to be like when they're older. I think it's, it's going to be like anti-apocalyptic uh, mm-hmm. type, unfortunately. So yes, we're going to see a lot of shit come down the pipe. But anyways, crazy times. Thank goodness we're a little sheltered where we are. But yeah, I don't know. I live on this main street and I hear so much crap going on down there. It's like Mm -mm. I stop looking Mm -hmm. (laughs) because I'm like, I want to get shot. Yeah, it's scary. (laughs) Anywhere, anywhere. It doesn't matter what area. No, you you don't know when somebody's going to snap. Snap. And I mean, or who's going to snap. Yeah, it's crazy. I want to start with the victims. Um, there's not a lot affiliated victim-wise like other serial killers mm-hmm. we've looked at. Um, but the first one, victims of the Charles Manson followers and himself, is Abigail Folger. Um, she was born 8-11-1943 and was murdered on 8-9-1969. Um, she was the coffee heiress. I was going to say yeah. the coffee heiress. Okay. So she was, that's her family is the Folger's uh, coffee Mm-hmm. Um, next one is Donald Shorty Shay. Um, he was born September 18th, 1933 and died on 826, 1969. Um, he was an aspiring movie star. So all this happened like the year that I was born. Cause I was born in 1969. So my mom oh, was pregnant okay. with me when all this was going down. Okay. Um, then, and this guy was actually born on my birthday, Gary Heinemann, 1224, 1939, um, he died in July, on July 31st, 1969. He was the first to be killed. Oh, okay. um, And he was, he was actually one of the members of the Manson family. So I don't know if I did research on him and he's further down, but uh, the most I know about him at this point in the story is that he was just associated with the 
Charles. Oh. So he must have did something that pissed him to off. To piss him off, yeah. Um, J. Sebring, October 9th, 1933, uh, died on August 9th, 1969, and he was affiliated with Sharon Tate. So oh, okay. that one and also the next one, Stephen Parent, um, 21251, died 8969. Um, both of those were affiliated with Sharon Tate. They were friends of hers and were oh, at the house at when the house they came. When they came for her. Yep. Oh my God. Um, then there's, and I'm going to butcher this, I know I'm sorry, but Wojciech. Frykowski, December 22nd, 1936, um, again on August 9th, 1969. He was a writer. And then, of course, Sharon Tate and the La, uh, La Bianca family. So we're going to get into those mm-hmm. two families later on um, when we talk about more about the killings and stuff. Um, so Charles Manson was born on November 12th, 1934, mm-hmm. to a 15-year-old mom well, his mother, Kathleen Manson Bauer Cavender, um, her, she was known as Nee Maddox. Um, she was born 1919 and died in 1973. He was born in the University of Cincinnati Academic Health Center in Cincinnati, Ohio. He was named Charles Miles Maddox. So he got his um, last name Manson um, when... So let's see, his, his biological father was uh, Colonel Walker Henderson, Scott Sr., um, who was alive from 1910 to 1954. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was from Cattlesburg, Kentucky, um, against whom Kathleen Maddox filed a paternity suit that resulted in an agreed, judge, uh, an agreed judgment in 1937. So um, Scott worked intermittently in local mills. He had a local reputation as a con artist. So this is what Manson's seen. You know, mm-hmm. he's like, okay, con artist, which tying in with the cult life, the Case Cross, they're all a bunch of it's, con artists. Yeah, they're all fanatics and extremists. Yeah. They're all, I mean, it's, that's what to, it is. That's what it is. They go to the extreme. Yeah. So he allowed Maddox to believe that he was an army colonel, although colonel was merely his given name. So when Maddox told Scott that she was pregnant, he told her he had been called away on army business. After several months, she realized he had no intention of returning. Um, and Manson may never have even known his biological father. Um, but he, Man, Manson still was, you know, growing up with con artists around him mm-hmm. and um, just learned this behavior. Um, in August 1934, before Manson's birth, Maddox married William Eugene Manson. Mm. Um, He was born 1909, died in 1961. He was a laborer at a dry cleaning business. Maddox often went on drinking sprees with her brother, um, Luther, leaving Charles with multiple babysitters. So his mom was this person that was going out and drinking and not even being, uh, you know, present in his life. So he got the stepdad's last name. Yeah, he took the Mm. stepdad's last name. Yep. Okay, interesting. So on August 1st, 1939, Luther and Kathleen Maddox were arrested for assault and robbery. Kathleen and Luther were sentenced to five to, and ten years of imprisonment. Um, Manson was placed in the home of an aunt and uncle in um, me, let's see, McMeachin, West Virginia. His mother was paroled in 1942. Manson later characterized the first weeks after... She returned from prison as the happiest time in his life. Weeks after Maddox's release, Manson family um, 
moved to Charleston, West Virginia, where Manson continually played truant and his mother, um, she spent her evenings drinking. Um, she was arrested for grand larceny. I mean, she was just a picture perfect mom here. Oh, (laughs) Um, she never got convicted of that though. Um, and then the family later moved to Indianapolis where Maddox met an alcoholic with the same last name or with the last name Lewis, um, through Alcoholics Anonymous meetings and married him in August of 1943. What a piece of work. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. <laughs> oh my God. You don't go to AA to meet your future spouse. Mm-hmm. Just as a, put that out there. Yeah, hello. <laughs> <laughs> um, on wikitree.com, um, Charles Manson in the Newell Emmons book, Manson in his own words, describes the Maddox family. The family is described as Kathleen was the youngest of three children from the marriage of Nancy and Charles Maddox. Her parents loved her and meant well by her, but they were uh, fanatical in their religious beliefs. So Mm -hmm. right there. Especially Grandma, who dominated the household. She was stern and unwavering in her interpretation of God's will and demanded that those within her home abide by her view of God's wishes. So he's, I mean, he's growing up around this, you know, it's, it's no mystery as how he became who he was. Yeah. Um, my grandfather worked for the B&O Railroad. He worked long, hard hours, a dedicated slave to the company and his bosses. He was not the disciplinarian grandma was. If he tried to comfort mom with a display of affection, such as or on the, a pat on the knee or on the arm or around her shoulder, um, grandma was quick to insinuate he was vulgar, which is stupid. Um, for mom, life was filled with a never ending list of denials from awakening in the morning until going to bed at night. Um, it was no Kathleen, that dress is too short. Braid your mm-hmm. hair. Don't comb, uh, don't comb it like some hussy come directly home from school and don't let me catch you talking to any boys. No, you can't go to school dance. We are going to church in 1990. 19- in 1933 at the age of 15 my mother she ran away from home Mm. um other other writers have portrayed mom as a teenage whore in her search for acceptance she may have fallen in love too easily and too often Mm -hmm. but a whore at that time um no in later years because of hard knocks and tough times she may have sold her body some so, I mean, right there, oh, his sad. yeah, his childhood was really rough. And I feel bad for the child, but not for the adult. Um, mm-hmm. Definitely, you can tell that it, this is where some of that shaping of behavior came mm-hmm. from, though. Um, Kathleen was the kind of mother that children are taken away from and placed in foster homes. She had a habit of disappearing for days and weeks at a time, leaving Charlie with his grandmother or his aunt. According to Manson, his mother once even traded him for a pitcher of beer. Stop it. Yeah, that's horrible. <gasps> that's a real bad alcoholic right there. I mean, if they're like, for one pitcher of beer. You give your baby? Oh, that's yeah. sad. Um, Kathleen bought, brought her young son to a cafe, cafe and was chatting with the waitress who wanted a child of her own and thought Manson was cute. A pitcher of beer, and he's yours, she said. The waitress assumed she was joking, but gave her an extra pitcher anyways. Um, True to her word, Kathleen finished her drinks and left her child behind. Days later, Manson's uncle tracked him down and brought him home. Holy crap! Yeah. 
He was a baby, though. Yeah, he was little anyways. He was little. I don't know. See, if he was born in 33, yeah, maybe like three or four or so. (gasps) Just a little guy. Oh, my God. Um, Let's see. So in 1939, Kathleen and her brother were both sentenced to the penitentiary for robbing a Charleston, West Virginia service station. After spending three years in prison, Kathleen was paroled in 1942. When she returned home, um, she gave Manson a hug. He later described this, uh, like we said, as the happy memory from his childhood, like the only happy memory. The memory he had. It was yeah. one hug. Yeah. How sad. According to a 2013 biography of Charles Manson by author Jeff Gwyn, um, once Maddox was out of jail, her son had already become a petty criminal, stealing and skipping school, unable to control his bad behavior. Maddox sent him to a Catholic school for delinquents when he was 12 years old. Which, the nuns. Mm. I'm sorry, guys. If any of you are nuns, I just, I I have a hard time. I hate nuns. I have a really hard time with the nuns. I do, too. I do, too. (laughs) I do, too. I think they're the fakest. Yeah, they're, Mm -mm. I don't know. I went to school with nuns, and believe me, by the time I graduated, I was puking nuns. Left and right. No. Mm Mm-mm. Um, Let's see. In the early 1960s, when Manson was incarcerated at a prison in Washington State, Maddox reportedly moved there from California to be closer to him while he was serving his time. The rest of Kathleen Maddox's life is shrouded in even more mystery than her early years. In a 1971 interview, the same year Manson was convicted of first-degree murder, Maddox said that she was five years into her third marriage with husband Gail Bauer. She had a nine-year-old daughter and lived a quiet life with a few friends. Um, She died on July 31st, 1973 at the age of 54 in Spokane, Washington. Um, She's buried at Fairmount Memorial Park. So she was young. Holy cow, she started young at, you know. Yeah, 15. Maybe even sooner than that. And all the drinking and everything. Because that's when she got pregnant. Yeah, who knows. So she had to have been partying and stuff way before that. Yeah. And I mean, she, that's not, I mean, I'm 53, I'm going to be 54 this year. So, mm-hmm. but all the alcohol and everything, she just had abused her body mm-hmm. so badly. Um, let's talk about the first offenses of Charlie Manson, Charles Manson, Manson. In an interview with Diane Sawyer, Manson said that when he was nine, he set his school on fire. <laughs> Manson also got into trouble for truancy and petty theft. Although there was a lack of foster home placements in 1947 at the age of 13, Manson was placed in the Gibault School for Boys in Terre Haute, Indiana, a school for male delinquents run by Catholic priests. Mm. They're just as bad as the nuns, let me tell you that. Yeah. And there's, I mean, there's lots of evidence of sexual abuse there. Yes. Um, let's see, Gibault was a strict school where punishment for even the smallest infraction included beatings with either a wooden paddle or a leather strap. Manson ran away from Gibault and slipped in the woods, under bridges, and whatever else he could find shelter. Um, he did flee home to his mother and spent Christmas of 1947 in McMeekin at his aunt and uncle's house. His mother returned him to Gibault, so she just took him back, even though all this abuse and stuff. Mm. Um, Ten months later, he ran away to Indianapolis. In 1948, in Indianapolis, Manson committed his first known crime by robbing a grocery store. 
At first, the robbery was simply to find something to eat. However, Manson found a cigar box containing just over $100, and he took the money. He used the money to rent a room on Indianapolis's Skid Row and to buy food. So I, my, I have strong feelings about that because mm-hmm. I think if there's somebody starving and they're, they have to steal to eat, instead, let's just like maybe mm-hmm. you see that in your store. So get a loaf of bread and, you know, lunch meat or whatever. Whatever, and, and hand it to them. Say, here, don't steal. You yeah. can have it. Yeah. So that way, maybe not so many people are turning that bad. Yeah. So I do. I have harsh. I have feelings about that. Um, and I know that places have to make money and survive too, mm-hmm. but let's but help each one other. Loaf of bread and yeah, that's not going to break. The it's store. not going to break the store. It's no. And back then, yeah. what five ten bucks the yeah. most for? Mm-mm. He may not, if they would have just gave him some food, he maybe would have not <clears throat> stolen that stolen money. the box or anything. Yeah. Um, for a time, Manson had a job delivering messages for Western Union in an attempt to live a life free of crime. However, he quickly began to supplement his wages through petty theft. He was eventually caught, and in 1949, a sympathetic judge, judge, sorry, judge, sent him to Boys Town, a juvenile facility in Omaha, Nebraska. Isn't there a movie about Boys Town? Like, it's a really old movie. I don't, I don't know. I'm going to have to look that I up. I think that. there is. Um, and it could be based off this story. Who knows? Um, after, maybe. Yeah. Maybe. After the four days at Boys Town, he and a fellow student, Blackie Nelson, Nielsen, obtained a gun and sold a car. They used it to commit two armed robberies on their way to the home of Nielsen's uncle in Peoria, Illinois. Uh, Nielsen's uncle was a professional thief, and when the boys arrived, he allegedly took them on as apprentices. Oh, my God. Let's teach them something useful, not how to be a professional thief. Oh the gosh. school of thieves. <laughs> Holy crap. <laughs> Manson was arrested two weeks later during a nighttime raid on a Peoria store. In the investigation that followed, he was linked to his, to his two earlier armed robberies. He was sent to the Indiana Boys School, a strict reform school. Um, at the school, other students allegedly raped Manson with the encouragement of staff members. And he was repeatedly beaten. Um, so lots of abuse now starting. Okay, so he was raped. Yeah, he got raped there. He ran away from the school 18 times. While at the school, Manson developed a self-defense technique he later called the insane game. When he was physically unable to defend himself, he would screech, grimace, and wave his arms to convince aggressors that he was insane. I mean... That's, I mean, you got to do what you got to do. You got to do, exactly. Yeah. And he was. Yeah, he was. I think all this stuff it just started attributed. There, yeah. Um, let's see. After a number of failed attempts, he escaped with two other boys in February of 1951. The three escapees were robbing filling stations while attempting to drive to California in stolen cars when they were arrested in Utah. Mm. <laughs> It's strange how everything centers in Utah. I know. I know. Oh, they go through Utah. Yeah. You know? Yep. Um, for the federal crime of driving a stolen car across state lines, Manson was sent to Washington, D.C.'s National Training School for Boys. On arrival, he was given an aptitude test, which determined he was illiterate, but had an above-average IQ of 109. Hmm. 
Mm. Um, his caseworker deemed him aggressively antisocial, I think. Mm. <laughs> Um, his first imprisonment. So on a, psychi a psychiatrist's recommendation, Manson was transferred in October 1951 to Natural Bridge Honor Camp, a minimum security institution. His aunt visit him, visited him and told administrators she would let him stay at her house and would help him find work. Uh, Manson had a parole hearing scheduled for February 1952. However, in January, he was caught raping a boy at knife point. So he Holy turned around cow. and was doing the same. That's when it's like, you know, he's beyond. Yeah, he should have never been mm -mm -mm. let out. Like, it, it just amazes me on all these that we, like, read about and how they get let get out. Get let out, yes. It's like. Instead of, while they're there, get them the help so that they're okay to get out. But they get out and they get worse. Yeah, and, I mean the amount of people that could be saved because mm -hmm. if they would just if they, keep them. Yes. <sighs> Anyways, Manson was transferred to the federal penitentiary in Petersburg, Virginia. There he committed a further eight serious disciplinary offenses, three involving homosexual acts. So to me, um, I am a big LGBTQ supporter and that, you know, I know back in the fifties, if you were caught as a mm -hmm. homosexual, you know, you were imprisoned mm -hmm. like it was awful and it didn't you say in africa in nigeria it's yes. against the law you will go to jail if they catch you uh doing any kind of like holding, hand. holding hands kissing or showing any kind of signs that you are either gay lesbian or whatever else that the cops arrest you and you go to jail for it yeah that's against the law there well, and I, there's a show I really like on Netflix called um, called The Midwife. And in one of the episodes, it's based back in that, like that time, but in mm -hmm. um, England area. And one of the episodes is, you know, this man, he was married and they were having a baby, but his real life was, you know, he was a homosexual and they did. They put him in jail. And mm -hmm. I mean, it's it's ridiculous. It's very sad. Yeah, you can it's love sad. you should be but able to love. But that's in Nigeria till today. It's not. It's still the same can't. way. Wow. I'm sure, it's not the only place. I'm sure there's like places mm, all over that are still like Africa. that. Um, let's see. He was then moved to a maximum security reformatory in Chillicothe, Ohio, which is where my dad was born, mm -hmm. um, where he was expected to remain until his release on his 21st birthday in November of 1955. Um, good behavior led to an early release in May of 1954 until um, he went to his aunt and uncle's house. Mm -hmm. In January of 1955, Manson married a hospital waitress named Rosalie Jean Willis. <laughs> I don't know. Around October, about three months after he um, and his pregnant wife arrived in Los Angeles in a car he had stolen in Ohio. So here's a nurse that worked, and it's like... And Open your eyes and see who you're involved with. Like, hello? Yeah, like, I don't know. Um, and she, you know, went along with him in that car, you know. Stolen car all the way to L.A. Yeah. Wow. Um, let's see. So Manson was again charged with a federal crime for taking the vehicle across state lines. Mm -hmm. After a psychiatric evaluation, he was given five years probation 
Manson's failure to appear at a Los Angeles hearing on an identical charge filed in Florida resulted in his March 1956 arrest in Indianapolis. His probation was revoked and he was sentenced to three years imprisonment at Terminal Island. And we're going to talk a little bit about Terminal Island because it is, there's a lot of like celebrity prison prisoners that were there. Oh, really? Um, it's off, uh, it's actually on Terminal Island off of California's, Southern California's coastline. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Um, so while Manson was in prison, Rosalie gave birth to their son, Charles Manson Jr. Mm. During his first year at Terminal Island, Manson received visits from Rosalie and his mother, who were now living together in Los Angeles. In March of 1957, when the visits from his wife ceased, his mother informed him Rosalie was living with another man. Mm. Less than two weeks before a scheduled parole hearing, Manson tried to escape by stealing a car. He was given five years probation and his parole ended. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the Terminal Island prison. Wow. Um, so because California Alcatraz is part of California, yeah, that's too. Yeah, that's up northern, northern Cali. Yeah. This uh -huh. one's off the Long Beach coast. Okay. Near okay. where I was born and raised. Um, this prison was opened at the, at the southern end of Terminal Island, adjacent to a Coast Guard base on June 1st, 1938. It's really old. Um, and it, it had a 610 male and 40 ma female prisoners. Mm -hmm. It consisted of a central quadrangle surrounded by three cell blocks and cost $2 million to construct mm. back then. Back then, I was going to say. Yeah, that. now that's probably at least $10 million. Yeah, it's so much more. In 1942, the U.S. Navy took control of the prison for use as a receiving station and later as a barracks for court, uh, court-martialed prisoners. The facility was deactivated by the Navy in 1950 and later turned over to the state of California for the use as a medical and psychiatric institution. Um, the state returned control to the U.S. Bureau of Prisons mm -hmm. in 1955 for um, con conversion into a low to minimum or medium security federal prison. Mm. The prison was mixed sex, so they had male and female prisoners there, which is insane In to the me. same area? Yeah, well, they were housed differently until okay. 1977, oh, okay. when overcrowding led to the transfer of the women to federal prison in Dublin, California. Mm. Um, the prison was given increased barbed wire and armed guards in the early, 1980s in an effort to dispel the facility's club-fed image. A corruption scandal rocked the prison in the early 1980s, resulting in the indictment of six employees on charges of bribery, cover-ups, <gasps> marijuana sales to inmates, and oh, other corruption. Uh-huh. It's got a huge history. Um, those indicted included Charles DeSorti, the prison's chief investigator of crimes, the highest-ranking federal prison official ever to be indicted. But wow. now we have Trump indicted, so he's the highest-ranking. Yeah, right now, because yeah. the president. Yeah. Wow. In 2020, the COVID-19 coronavirus had infected almost half of the inmate uh, population, with nine deaths, over 681 inmates Ooh. having been tested positive for coronavirus. Um, the prison was said to have one of the worst and most cases of any federal lockup in the country and more than all of California's state prisons combined. Oh my God. Yeah. 
So some of the famous people that were there, um, there's Salvatore Bonanno. Um, he, I don't know if you've ever heard of the Bonanno crime family. They're in the um, New York. They were real popular during the 60s. An Italian, like, the mob. Oh, the mob. Yeah. yeah. Um, there's um, Edward Bunker, who was a crime fiction writer. So um, he... So he adapted into a movie, Straight Time, and Dustin Hoffman was in that movie. Mm-hmm. Um, Al Capone was oh, Al Capone, yeah. Um, Rosario Gambino. Mm-hmm. Um, he was a soldier of the Cherry Hill Gambinos, um, also another mob family. Mob, Italian mob, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Henry Hill, he was an <laughs> a form- a former associate of the Luke Cheese crime family in New York. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was portrayed by L- Ray Liotta in the 1990 film Goodfellas. Mm-hmm. Um, Tim- Timothy Leary, um, Harvard professor and LSD guru. Um, so uh, good old LSD drugs there, hallucinated. And then, of course, Charles Manson. Um, let's see. There's a whole long list. There's a, Anita Gay O'Day. Sorry. She was a jazz singer. Um it's just, it's got all this long list of people who were very well known of, uh, in the community. Um, there's one, the Port Chicago 50, and this was 50 African-American sailors convicted, it, convicted of mutiny for refusing to load ammunition onto U.S. Navy ships. Um, and that was under unsafe conditions after the Port Chicago disaster, which is an explosion that killed 320 people including 202 black um, soldiers, sailors. So um, just if you ever want to do any kind of research on Terminal Island, you can definitely, you know, look that up on the internet. That would be awesome to go visit. Oh, yeah. I don't know if it's still, it's probably still still active. And when I was a youth in the church, Mm -hmm. one of my young women leaders, she actually worked at Terminal Island (gasps) as a guard. And, or administration, and her husband was a guard there. And the story, yeah, she never told us like in depth because number one, we were youth and it was at church. Yeah. But I mean, she did tell us, you know, it definitely was not a, a nice place to a be. Walk in the park. Yeah, yeah. No. Um, so Charles Manson's second imprisonment um, was Manson received five years parole in September of 1958 the same year in which Rosalie's received a decree of divorce. By November, he was pimping a 16-year-old girl and was receiving additional support from a girl with wealthy parents. He's just such a peach, I swear. Just awful. Wow. In September of 1959, he pleaded guilty to a charge of attempting to cash a forged U.S. Treasury check. So probably like an income tax return or something. Or something, yeah. Yeah. Um, which he claimed to have stolen from a mailbox. The later charge was dropped. He received a 10-year suspended sentence and probation after a young woman named Leona, um, who had an arrest record for prostitution, made a tearful plea before the court that she and Manson were deeply in love and would marry if Charlie was freed. Um, Before the year's end, the woman did marry Manson, possibly, so she would not be required to testify against him. Because I think even like today, you can't testify against a spouse. The spouse, yeah, there's a spouse privilege. How about like your parents and stuff? Um, I don't, I think it's just for spouse. Just for spouses. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so Manson took Leona and another woman to New Mexico for purposes of prostitution, resulting in him being held in questions for violating the Mann Act, which I don't know what that is. Um, though he was released, Manson correctly suspected that the investigation had not ended. When he disappeared in violation of his probation, a bench warrant was issued. An indictment for violation of the Mann Act followed in April 1960, Following the arrest, uh, arrest of one of the women for prostitution, Manson was arrested in June in Laredo, Texas, and was returned to Los Angeles for violating his probation on the check cashing charge. Um, he was ordered to serve his 10-year sentence at that point. Wow. Uh, let's see. So Manson spent a year trying unsuccessfully to appeal the rev uh, revocation of his pro uh, probation. In July of 1961, he was transferred from Los Angeles County Jail to the United States Penitentiary at McNeil Island, Washington. There, he took guitar lessons from Barker Carpus gang leader Alvin Creepy Carpus and obtained from another inmate a, con a contact name of someone at Universal Studios in Hollywood, Bill Kaufman, along uh, among his fellow prisoners during this time was Danny Trejo, who participated in several hypnosis sessions. According to Jeff Gwynn's 2013 biography of Manson, his mother moved to Washington State to be closer to him during this, this time, um, and she worked as a waitress. Although the Mann Act charge had been dropped, the attempt to cash a treasury check was still a federal offense. Mm -hmm. Manson's September 1961 annual review noted he had a tremendous drive to call attention to himself. No. <laughs> no you don't say. <laughs> Let's see. In 1963, Leona was granted a divorce. During the process, she alleged that she and Manson had a son, Charles Luther. According to the popular urban legend, Manson auditioned unsuccessfully for the mo monkeys in the late 1960s. Do you know that show, The Monkeys? Mm -mm. Oh my gosh, I used to love to watch The Monkeys. Hey, hey, we're the monkeys. You don't know? I was in Ecuador. I oh, grew up true. in Ecuador, okay. so yeah. that's why. Oh, I love The Monkeys. And to think that he even, like, oh. <laughs> and so he wanted to be part of the show? Yeah, he wanted to be one of the monkeys. <laughs> you don't get that right, mister. <laughs> oh my God. In what June 1966, freak. he was sent back to Terminal Island in preparation for mm -hmm. early release. By the time of his release day on March 21st, 1967, he had spent more than a half of his 32 years in prison and other institutions. This was mainly because he had broken federal laws. Federal sentences were and remain much more severe than state sentences mm -hmm. for many of the same offenses. Um, Till now, they still are. Yep. Let's see. He said, telling the authorities that prison had become his home, he requested permission. He even asked to stay in, in prison. <laughs> so if they would have just left him there yeah, why to not? rot. No, let's let him kill other people. No, you got to go out there. <laughs> so in 1968, we're going to talk about San Francisco and the cult for formation. Um, so the first part is parolee and patient. Less than a month after his 1967 release from prison, Manson moved to Berkeley from Los Angeles, which could have been a probation violation. Instead, after calling the San Francisco probation officer upon his arrival, he was transferred to the supervision of 
criminology doctoral research and federal probation officer Roger Smith. Until the spring of 1968, Smith worked at the Height Ashbury Free Medical Clinic, which Manson and his family frequently um, frequented throughout their stay in the Height. Our stay in the Height. Okay. Roger Smith, as well as the HAFMC's founder, David E. Smith, received funding from the National Institutes of Health and reportedly the CIA to study the effects of drugs like LSD, meta, meta, metamphetamine, mm-hmm. um, the counterculture movement in Height Ashbury at the time. The patients at the clinic became subjects of their research, including Manson and his expanding group of mostly female followers who came to see Roger Smith regularly. So, cause if you've like seen pictures of the Manson family or anything, they're always look like they're high. Oh my God. <laughs> they always look I like bet. they're high. I mean, yeah. And LSD was so huge and so widely then, used. Yeah, then. It was, yeah. So even, I mean, even into like the seventies and stuff, I think, mm-hmm. I don't know about the eighties too much. Cause to me, which sticks at, at that time is more like cocaine. It mm-hmm. seemed like there was a lot of cocaine use and stuff. Mm-hmm. So, um, Manson received permission from Roger Smith to move from Berkeley to the Height Ashbury District in San Francisco. He first took LSD and would use it frequently during his time there. David Smith, who had studied effects of LSD and amphetamines mm-hmm. in rodents, wrote that the change in Manson's personality during this time was the most abrupt Roger Smith had observed in his entire professional career. <laughs> Manson also read the book Stranger in a Strange Land, a science fiction novel by Robert A. Heinlein, inspired by the burgeoning free love philosophy in Height Ashbury during the Summer of Love. Manson began preaching his own philosophy based on a mixture of Stranger in a Strange Land, the Bible, Scientology, Dale Carnegie, and the Beatles, um, which quickly earned him a following. Um, something we're going to learn about him is that he does kind of get into um, Scientology a little bit. Mm-hmm. So lots of like uh, celebrities belong to Scientology. So he did have a lot of connections in the celebrity world. Mm-hmm. Um, so the cult formation, Manson had already gained his first follower at the UC Berkeley campus, librarian Mary Bruner. He talked her into letting him sleep at her house for a few nights, an arrangement that quickly became permanent. He oh. then met Lynette Squeaky Frome, which I believe she's one of them that got imprisoned for the murders. Mm-hmm. Um, she was a runaway teen and convinced her to live with him and Bruner. Manson soon began to attract large crowds of listeners and some dedicated followers. He targeted individuals for manipulation who were emotionally insecure and mm-hmm. social outcasts. Of course. Yeah. Um, In his book, Love Needs Care, about his time at the HAFMC, David Smith claims that Manson attempted to reprogram their minds to submit totally to his will through the use of LSD and unconventional sexual practices Mm -hmm. that would turn his followers into empty vessels that would accept anything he poured. Manson's family member, Paul Watkins, testified that Manson would encourage group LSD trips and take lower doses himself to keep his wits about him. Watkins said that Charlie's trip was to program us all to submit. By the end of his stay in the height in in April 1969, 
1968, Manson had attracted 20 or so followers, all under supervision of his parole officer, Roger Smith, and many of the staff at the HAFMC. So they're like his, programming. His power of manipulation and in, in to convince, I mean, you got to give it to him. The guy was very charismatic. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I mean, and it wasn't just women. I mean, he had men followers. Men yeah. So. Even his parole. He? Like, his parole officer. I know. <laughs> it's like, what? And a whole organization that's HAFMC organization. I mean, he just, he was able to just get people to follow him follow with him. just by giving them LSD and making them trip. And yeah. I mean, it's crazy. Um, the core members of the Manson's following eventually included Charles Tex Watson, a musician and former actor, Bobby Besoleil, a former physician and pornographic actor, oh. Bruner, Susan Atkins, Patricia Krenwinkel, and Leslie Van Houten. So those are all names that I recognize, especially, you know, for like hearing about the Manson family and stuff. So those names are familiar to me. Um, so further arrest, um, while super supervised by his parole officer, Roger Smith, Manson grew his family through drug use and prostitution. Uh, uh, without interference from the authorities, Manson was arrested on July 31st, 1967 for attempting to prevent the arrest of one of his followers, Ruth Ann Morehouse. Instead of Manson being sent back to prison, the charge was reduced to misdemeanor and Manson was given three additional years of probation. He avoided prosecution again in July of 1968 when he and the family were arrested while moving from San Francisco to Los Angeles with the permission of Roger Smith when his bus crashed into a ditch where Manson and the members of his family, including Bruner and Manson's newborn baby, were found sleeping naked by police. Afterwards, he was again arrested and released only a few days later, this time on a drug charge. So, I mean, it's just like they keep releasing this idiot over and over. And just adding more parole years. Yeah. Like, hello? Yeah. Which is like, nothing because he's living. In? Like, when does it hit him? Like, hello? I know. How many years of probation does he need because before? Because can he get? Like, it should be years in prison, not parole. Yeah. No. So save so many lives. And a big part of Manson's cult was the doomsday beliefs. Like, I'm sure we've all heard them, you know, like the end of the world is coming. Mm -hmm. um, so when Manson became fixated on the idea of an imminent apocalyptic race war between America's black population and the larger white population, a white, a white supremacist, Manson told some of the Manson family that black people in America would rise up and kill all the white people except for Manson and his family. But they were not intelligent enough to survive on their own. They would need a white man to lead them. And so they would serve Manson as their master, according to Vincent oh Bogliosi in the late 1968. Manson adopted the term Helter Skelter, taken from a song on the Beatles' recently released White Album to refer to the upcoming war. Now, I just want to interject something here because this is not my view by any means at all and when i was reading that part i felt so offended not because of the white people but because the fact that he says that the blacks are not intelligent enough yeah. to and that makes me sick because to me we're all humans it doesn't yeah. matter the color of our skin yeah. and growing up with a father who was white supremacist it is like 
and even though he wasn't a part of the Manson family, he was KKK and um, actually one of the bad, leaders. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And so I, this train of thought is just, it, it makes me sick. It makes me so sick. Oh, my God. Because we're all the same. We all have a brain. There's people that are smarter than others. I'm no rocket scientist, but me neither. still. But it's that just crazy. doesn't make me any less than anybody, or any more than anybody else. Exactly, exactly. Oh, that's sad. So let's start getting into some of these murders. So in early August 1969, some Manson family members committed murders in Los Angeles. The Manson family gained national notoriety after the murder of actress Sharon Tate and four others in her home on August 8th and 9th in 1969. And Leno and Rosemary uh, LaBianca the next day. Tex Watson and three other members of the family committed the Tate-Lebanca murders, allegedly under Manson's instructions. While it was later accepted at trial that Manson never expressly ordered the murders, his behavior was deemed to warrant a conviction of first-degree murder and conspiracy to commit murder. Evidence pointed to Manson's obsession with inciting a race war by killing those he thought were pigs. And his belief that this would show the, and this word again is not one I have ever used in my whole life. He called them niggers, how to do the same. So family members were also responsible for other assaults, thefts, and crimes, and the attempted assassination of President Gerald Ford in Sacramento by Lynette Squeaky Frum. See, I didn't know that they attempted to kill Gerald Ford. Mm-hmm. I did not know that. Mm-hmm. So that's interesting. Um, while it was often thought that the Manson that thought that Manson never murdered or attempted to murder anyone himself, true crime writer James Buddy Day, in his book Hippie Cult Leader, The Last Words of Charles Manson, claimed that Manson shot drug dealer Bernard Crow on July 1st, 1969, but Crow survived. So even though he may not have gone to these murder sites, he, these people would not be doing this unless he had. He, yeah, he. He made them do it. Like, yeah, he 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 had such a mental power and control over them. His word was the Bible, so it's like, oh, well, we need to do this. Mm-hmm. And there they go. Yeah, like, oh my. I God. don't understand why they tra- uh, targeted Sharon Tate. I mean, she was mm-hmm. white. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there were a lot of Polish people that were around her. I mean, the man she was involved with was is Polish, but I it's just disturbing. So let's talk about Sharon Tate a little bit. So on August 8th, 1969, Tate entered um, or entertained actress Joanna Pettit for lunch at her home, confiding in her disappointment at Polanski's delay in returning from London. So Polanski, I don't know if you've ever seen the um, him on the under trial and stuff. Like he's had a very back ass word life and he actually cannot come back to the if i'm right and i may be so i'm going to say this is my own opinion from things that i've read is that he cannot come back to the united states because he has committed these crimes so the, and they looked at him seriously for the death of sharon tight mm-hmm. um so polensky telephoned her that that day her younger sister deborah also called to ask if she and her boyfriend had another friend could pick up a saddle that Sharon had bought for Deborah in Europe. Tate declined, offering to have them over another time. Later that evening, she dined at El Coyote Cafe with Jay Sebring, um, Wojciech, 
Fryowski and Abigail Folger returning home at about 10.30 p.m. Shortly after midnight, Tate, Sebring, Fryowski, and Folger were murdered by members of the Manson family cult. Holy cow. Their bodies were discovered the following morning by Tate's housekeeper, Winifred Chapman. Police arrived at the scene to find a young man shot dead in his car in the driveway, later identified as Stephen Parent. Inside the house, the bodies of Tate and Sebring were found in the living room. A long rope tied around each of their necks connected, connecting them. On the front lawn lay the bodies of Fryowski and Folger. All of the victims, except Parent, had been stabbed numerous times. Um, the coroner's report for Tate noted that she had been stabbed 16 times. Oh my and God. that five of the wounds were in um, and of themselves fatal. Oh. <sighs> so. <laughs> what a horrible way to die. Yeah. And knowing that you're pregnant and your mm -hmm. baby. Um, so police took the only survivor at the address, the property's caretaker, William Gerritsen, in for questioning. Gerritsen lived in the guest house that was located on the property a short distance from the house. He was questioned and submitted to a polygraph test and stated that Parent had visited him at approximately 11.30 p.m. and left shortly after. He told police that he had no involvement in the murders and did not know anything that could help the investigation, and he was released. Um, Polanski was informed of the murders and returned to Los Angeles where police questioned him about his wife and her friends. On Wednesday, August 13th, Tate was um, interred in the Holy Cross Cemetery, Culver City, California, with her son, Paul Richard Polanski, in her arms. Oh, um, sick. Gosh. Oh, God. Named posthumously, so after birth, for his grandfather's um, so he's named after his grandfather's. Sebring's funeral took place later the same day. The funerals were scheduled um, several hours apart to allow friends to attend both. Um, Life devoted a lengthy article to the murders and featured photographs of the crime scenes. Polanski was interviewed for the article and allowed himself to be photographed in the entrance of the house next to the front door with the word pig still visible written in Tate's blood. He was widely criticized for the photo shoot, but he argued that he wanted to know who was responsible and was willing to shock the magazine's readers in the hope that someone would come forward with information. Um, curiosity about the victims led to the re-release of Tate's films, which uh, achieved greater popularity than they had in their initial runs, which I've heard that like once somebody dies, mm -hmm. like their stuff becomes more popular, you know, mm -hmm. like the artists and stuff yeah. like that. Mm -hmm. Um, so some published photographs of Tate were alleged to be taken at, um, a satanic ritual, but were in fact production, uh, photos from Eye of the Devil. Friends spoke out against the portrayal of Tate by some elements of the media. Mia Farrow said that she was a sweet and pure human being as I have ever known. While Patty Duke remembered her as a gentle, gentle creature. Polanski be, uh, berated a crowd of journalists at a news conference asking them, did you ever write how good she was? Polanski said he began to suspect various friends and associates and his paranoia subsided, when, uh, subsided only when the killers were arrested. Newspapers claimed that many Hollywood stars were moving out of the city while others installed security system in their homes. Um, Dominic Dunn recalled... Um, recalled the tension at the time. And he says the shock waves mm 
that went through the town were beyond anything I had ever seen before. People were convinced that the rich and famous of the community were in peril. Children were sent out of town. Guards were hired. Steve McQueen packed a gun um, when he went to Jay Sebring's funeral. In September 1969, members of the Manson family were arrested on unrelated charges, eventually leading authorities to a breakthrough on the Tate case as well. They explained that the motive for the murders was not the identity of the victims, but rather the house at the address, which had previously been rented to a a recording producer, Terry Melcher. An acquaintance of Manson, in 1994, the house was demolished and a new house was constructed on the site. So it, it wasn't even Tate that was targeted. Mm, it was the house. The house. My God. Yeah. And then the second part of the murders was the La Bianca murders. Um, so the four murders plus Manson, Leslie Van Houten and Clem Grogan went for a drive the following night. Manson was allegedly displeased with the panic and the uh, flight of the victims in the previous night's murders. He told Casabian to drive to a house at 3301 Waverly Drive in the Los Feliz section of Los Angeles. Located next door to a home where Manson and his family members had attended a party the previous year. It belonged to the supermarket executive Leno LaBianca and his wife Rosemary, co-owner of a dress shop. According to Atkins and Caspian, Manson disappeared up the driveway and returned to say that he had tied up the house occupants. Then Watson, Krenwinkel, and Van Houten went in. Watson claims in his autobiography that Manson went up alone and returned to take him up to the house with him. Manson pointed out a sleeping man through a window and the, and the two entered through the unlocked door. Watson claims Matson. Manson roused the sleeping Leno LaBianca from the couch at gunpoint and had Watson band his ba- uh, hands with a leather thong. Um, it, it sounds like with Watson, like I keep picturing Sherlock Holmes and Watson. Yeah, uh-huh. And I know it's not that. Watson was good. Um, so Rosemary was brought into the living room from the bedroom and Watson covered the couple's heads with pillowcases, which he bound in place with lamp cords. Manson left, and Krenwinkel and Van Houten entered the house at that point. Um, Watson had complained to Manson earlier of the inadequacy of the previous night's weapons. Watson sent the women from the kitchen to the bedroom where Rosemary LaBianca had been returned. While he went to the living room and began stabbing Leno LaBianca with a chrome-plated bayonet. The first thrust went into his throat. Watson heard a scuffle in the bedroom and went in there to discover Rosemary LaBianca keeping the women at bay by swinging the lamp tied to her neck. He stabbed her several times with the bayonet, then returned to the living room and resumed attacking Leno, whom he stabbed a total of 12 times. Oh, my God. He then carved the word war into his abdomen. Watson, oh my God, I know. Watson returned to the bedroom and found Krenwinkel stabbing Roseberry with a knife from the kitchen. Van Houten stabbed her approximately 16 times in the back and the exposed buttocks. Van Houten claimed, a tri- uh, claimed at trial that Rosemary LaBianca was already dead during the stabbing. Evidence showed that many of the 41 stab wounds. Oh 
had in fact been inflicted post-mortem. <gasps> so it's just rage. Yeah. It's just rage, total rage. Oh and I think God. that when they get in this like frenzy, it's like a frenzy they, they can't, can't stop. stop. Yeah. Um, Watson then cleaned off the bayonet and showered. He showered in the home where they just killed him. While Krenwinkle wrote "Rise and Death to Pigs" on the walls of, and uh, on the walls and helter helter skelter on the refrigerator door, oh, all wow. in all, all in uh, La Bianca's blood. She gave Leno Bianca Bianca fourteen puncture rooms with an ivory handled, two tinned carving fork, which he which she left jutting out of his stomach. She also planted a steak knife in his throat. So these people have just lost their freaking fucking bolt gun mind. Sorry for cussing the F word. Oh but I'm just God. like, they have lost it at this point. It's just all rage. Like, these people oh are already dead. dead. Why desecrate their bodies further? And one of these oh women God. I know was released from prison. I can't remember which one. And I haven't never heard any more about her. I'm sure she's under some kind of, like... Probably someone yeah. killed her. Uh, meanwhile, Manson drove the other three family members who had uh, departed Spawn with him that evening to the Venice home of Lebanese actor Saladin Nader. Manson left them there and drove back to Spawn Ranch, leaving them and the La Bianca killers to hitchhike home. So what a coward. He leaves them at the crime scene and it's like, if you get arrested, you get arrested. But, you know, good luck getting home. <laughs> wow. So, according to Caspian, Manson wanted his followers to murder Nader in his apartment, but Caspian claims she thwarted this murder by deliberately knocking on the wrong apartment door and and walking a stranger and walk, waking a stranger. The group abandoned the murder plan and left, but Atkins defected in the stairwell on the way out or defecated. Ooh, wet poop, nasty, oh, nasty. Yeah. Okay, guys, we're going to stop there. Um, we'll come back to part two. This was a lot to digest. Oh I know it was God. a lot to digest because I can feel it in my throat. Um, but just like growing up in California, and it's not that I like idolized yeah. this thing, but it was even when I was a teenager in the 80s, well, late 70s, 80s, we knew about the Manson family and we knew about what had happened and it was so fanatical and so just like celebritized yeah. that, you know, we just, it was a part of California culture, unfortunately. That's um, I feel like it's died down. You know, when I was raising my children there, it was not anything. The only thing we would comment is as we drove from Utah to California and you'd go past Death Valley is... Hey, that's where Charles Manson was, you know. Um, but yeah, definitely, he was. He and his family is. Oh my God, sickos. sick! And what we learned from you is, you know, he learned his mannerisms from and Case stuff Cross. From Case Cross, from yeah, Krishna Venta. So interesting. Holy smokes! <laughs> I hope you guys like that one. Yeah, <laughs> we're I have did more. not know that much about him. I knew he was a psycho, but. All the details is like, oh my God. And there's more. Yeah, there's more to come. There's for like sure. a lot more pages. Yeah. So this will either be a two parter or three parter. We'll see how the second part goes. But um, yeah. 
All right. So we'll end there for this. Um, you can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcast, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, Samsung Podcast, Podcast Inbox, Deezer, Listen Notes, Stitcher, Pandora, Google Podcasts, RSS dot com and tune in if you have any information you want to share any experience or anything that we might have left out anything at all email us we're more than happy to share what you email us at what happens after dark ll at gmail.com yep and you can find us on social media at luna wad lead w-h-a-d is the middle part um, Instagram is what happens after dark LL. TikTok is WAD1210. And then if you'd like to become a donor and receive special episodes and things like that, go to our Patreon site. It's just what happens after dark um, at, uh, is it at patreon.com? Patreon.com yeah. and please donate. You'll yeah. get some gifts. We're, try- uh, we're trying to work on the merchandise. We're yeah. still in... in- in that process, but it, it will be coming. Yeah. Uh, and we won't be ungrateful. So donate and, yep. and do something awesome. So thank you so much for being with us for this episode. Uh, there's more for Charles Manson. Um, so we hope you all have a good night. Yep. Bye. Bye.